It's a new day and time for another NCEA podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss teacher evaluations. Whether you are a classroom teacher anticipating your observation lesson or a principal trying to adhere to all the deadlines, the teacher evaluation process can be, well, overwhelming. Principals, maybe you are feeling intimidated because you are new or behind schedule, and maybe you just need a few tips and tricks. And teachers, while the school administrator is responsible for the oversight of the assessment of faculty, your collaboration and communication with your principal can really improve the process. So stay with us. This episode is for you. I'm Laura McDonald, and this is NCEA Podcast Special Edition. Joining us today is Tasha Tillotson. Tasha is an associate superintendent and very experienced in the area of teacher evaluation. Welcome to our podcast, Tasha. Thank you so much for having me, Laura, and looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for being here. So we are going to discuss about six elements of teacher evaluation. Uh, We have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. Um, We can't emphasize enough how important it is for everyone to be prepared when it comes to teacher evaluations. Tasha, what details do administrators need to consider to ensure they are appropriately prepared to evaluate their teachers? I think probably first and foremost, as you embark on the evaluation and observation process, is that you develop a schedule. And that schedule is going to really guide you throughout the time that you're with your teachers before, after, um, and even during your observation. Right. Um, And our teachers really need to know precisely what to expect. It it makes for a better process. So teachers, if you feel like you want to know more about the process at your school, let your administrator know, and it may really help um, them to be more forthcoming with the process, and it'll help your colleagues as well. Yeah, and I think the scheduling piece, you know, as you're planning out and developing how um, and when you're going to go visit with your teachers, you can be very liberating for everybody on staff. They will know where you are at any given time during the observation period. Um, And you will kind of know to block off some time so that you're able to really engage in the process and not get torn into, um, you know, a different direction. All right. So when it comes to this organization of records and schedules, um, I do see there's some software out there, but, you know, that's not realistic for all of our schools. Um, What are some cost-free ways to get organized that you have seen and used? So most of our schools use some form of Google Suites. And so Google Docs really enables you to, um, you know, create notes and and engage in real time through the observation process. So I'm a huge advocate of using free resources when it comes to anything school related, particularly, um, you know, observations, because they're are a variety of things that you can use from a Google form to help with scheduling, to Google Docs, to take notes. Um, It just allows you to do a lot of the different moving pieces um, effectively and um, cost effectively. And, And I know when I first started doing teacher evaluations, 
you know, I spent a lot of time in the preparation phase and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to kill me. But once I found a system that worked for me, I used it every year and it took a lot of less, a lot less time on the front end pre-planning later on and was worth every moment of getting really organized in the beginning. Yeah, I think, you know, like you mentioned, having that time to build out that Google folder with your note taking form, with your calendar of observations, all of that work that you do year one of development, you can certainly use in subsequent years um, as you're planning and preparing. So it does take a little bit of time to develop all those forms, particularly if your diocese or your school site hasn't used, you know, a set of standard forms in the past, but it's well worth it to have, you know, a highly developed Google Drive with all of those things at your access. Great, great to know. And I do know nowadays there's a lot of different calendar apps that can be used sometimes right in our um, email system. So teachers can actually sign up for times that work for them. And I know that saves a lot of time too. Yeah. And as a principal, you know how much of your time is eaten up by responding to emails. So to be able to use a calendar app that shares your available times um, frees up that back and forth between faculty um, and yourself with, with your scheduling. And I know, too, I, I always try to schedule out everything, the pre, the the actual eval and the post, because otherwise, um, other 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 appointments would um, kind of clog up your schedule, and then you weren't turning it around in a timely manner. And I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. Knowing that each individual that you will be observing requires that pre-observation meeting, the actual observation, and then the post-observation meeting, you know, really puts into perspective how much time you're going to be devoting to the observation process. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about student surveys. Now, higher education um, places significant weight on these student, student feedback, but many of our elementary and high schools have not implemented student surveys. In fact, I know the idea kind of provokes some passionate discourse amongst our educators. What are your thoughts on using student surveys as a measure for teacher evaluation? So as an educator, you know, I am a huge believer in self-reflection and and one of the ways to be able to fully reflect on your teaching skills and uh, methodology is to get input from those individuals that are actually experiencing your teaching skills and methodology. And so as a teacher, I was a huge advocate of using student surveys with my students, um, both in junior high and high school. I found it very effective um, in getting, you know, real-time feedback about some of the practices I had. You know, one example that came up in a student survey was the fact that a particular student couldn't hear me during lessons if I was standing in a specific part of my classroom. Well, I would have never known that had I not given them the opportunity to share that information with me. So, 
I love student surveys. I know that it can be frightening for a teacher to put themselves out there, but mm -hmm. the reality is, is that students, um, you know, are going to give you honest feedback. In um, 99% of the time, it's really good feedback. Um, and that 1%, you know, you, you, you can take it with a grain of salt or you can use it as a reflective point for yourself on your teaching practices. Right. I, I think it can be a little scary, but I think, too, if the questions are um, geared properly to really constructive feedback, then it'll keep students on the right track. I also think the sooner we can start empowering our students to take responsibility for their own education and ask them questions about their learning, the more equipped they will be in the future. And, and maybe that's just a, another podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> I, I think giving them the agency to say, you know, where they are in this process um, is so powerful for them. Um, and even young students, giving them the voice to say, I really like this, or I really am struggling with this. Um, it, it just really opens up that dynamic in the classroom. Great, great. All right, so let's jump right into our formal observation process. Um, in addition to the actual observation, as we already said, this should include a pre and a post observation meeting. Um, I love those pre observations. So what should be covered during that meeting? So I think the biggest piece of that principal teacher meeting pre-observation is to really um, empower your teacher to know that this is a process of growth. This isn't a consequence. It's not a punishment. It really is an opportunity for them to get some professional feedback from their supervisor. Um, and it helps build that relationship between the teacher and the principal. I found that my first year as a principal, um, you know, it was really scary going into those pre-observation meetings. I had only been out of the classroom for a year and now I'm an administrator and I have to be responsible for, you know, providing feedback um, for people that, that um, you know, are still in the classroom. And, and that meeting became this opportunity for me to really praise the things that I already knew from informal walkthroughs um, and from other um observations throughout the school day to um, be able to empower them and say, we've got this, we're going to have a, a you know, great experience. And then to give them the opportunity to share with me what they want me to look for. You know, it wasn't just me going in there with an agenda and a checklist, and I'm going to go and, and, and mark off what they did well or what they didn't do well. It was, you know, hey, I'm really struggling with this particular student. Can you, you know, watch throughout the lesson, how I engage with them and what things I could do better to, to, to develop their engagement. Um, and so that was a great area of, of relationship building for me as a principal. And I really valued that, um, to have that collegial professional conversation. Absolutely. Especially since most of us love teaching. And I know for myself, I really missed the planning and conversing with my colleagues over how to teach a lesson. And so having that opportunity to have that conversation with my teachers was really valuable for me. And it also um, helped 
that some of them get their nervous feelings out to be able to address concerns, um, to understand that I was really there as support to help them with what they saw as areas of growth for them. And um, I, I feel like um, it also let me know what they were thinking going into a lesson, their level of understanding of their students, their their level of understanding of their material. Um, and it really was an opportunity for those of us that love that instructional leader piece to, to differentiate with our teachers. I found that some of my teachers needed very little support in that, that first pre-observation. They were telling me what they needed. And some wanted me to sit and help them plan a lesson. And, and I was happy to do that. Um, it, it, it really is an opportunity for that differentiation. And, and one of the things that um, I started doing through the years is really trying to um, look school-wide and come up with a theme or a focus as we did the walkthroughs so that I was seeing the same type of lesson throughout the grade levels. Um, it really helped me be able to see whole school, what our needs were and what our strengths were, as well as individually what each of the teachers needed, seeing the lesson, that type of lesson, language art or writing in all the classrooms during my walkthroughs. I think that's so valuable, that comprehensive school-wide, you know, approach to observation. The only other thing I was going to mention about that pre-observation meeting is that it's also important to share with the teachers during that meeting what observation form you will be using so that oh, they yes. know how you're going to be documenting that observation. Um, some, some dioceses have, you know, a set form that they ask their principals to use, but as we mentioned in the beginning, you may be developing that form on your own for your school site. So that pre-observation meeting is the opportunity to share that with them. Absolutely. So let's move on to the actual observation. Um, as you said, some of our dioceses supply rubrics and checklists and have very clear methods and others do not. Either way, what are the important guidelines to keep in mind during this formal observation? I think the one piece that I really stress with our principles is that it needs to be a complete lesson that you're observing. So as you develop the form and communicate that with the teacher, it needs to be made aware that you are going to be there for the entire lesson. And often cases, I would arrive as the teacher was transitioning from the previous lesson or subject into the lesson which I was observing um, all the way through the end and the closing of that lesson. And so that observation period, they need to know how long you're going to be in their room. And then they need to know the expectations you have for students, for um, themselves, for visitors while you're in that room as well. So for example, um, at one of the schools um, in our diocese, when a guest enters the room, all the students stand up and greet that guest. Well, I wanted to make sure that when I was coming in for an observation, that that wasn't necessary, that the students knew that I was going to be in there and that I literally was going to be a fly on the wall. 
and that they were to pretend like I was invisible and I was just going to sit and watch um, the lesson unfold. So making sure that that those expectations are clear for all the individuals that are going to be in that room, I think really helps to make the observation go smoothly. That's a good idea. And now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll hear more about observations, written feedback, and our post-observation meetings. Otis is an all-in-one student growth platform that allows educators to gather, analyze, and act on student data. They offer integrated grading and assessment tools so that you can easily monitor progress and use data to drive instruction. Otis is built for educators, by educators, and offers world-class support to users from day one. To request a demo and see why schools nationwide are choosing Otis, visit otis.com. That's O-T-U-S dot com. Welcome back. I'm here with Associate Superintendent Tasha Tillotson, and we are discussing teacher evaluations. We just talked about observation. Anything else that our um, principals should be considering during their observation, Tasha? I think also that the office, the front office knows where you are. Hopefully the schedule of your observation is shared um, and that you really impress upon your administrative staff that that time is sacred time. And so unless it's an absolute emergency, that you are really devoting your attention to the observation and not being interrupted with things that can be addressed after the observation. That's a good point because although we tell our teachers, please teach as you normally would, do not put on a show, keep it authentic, don't kill yourself in planning, they're going to plan. They really care about their planning and there's nothing worse than them than not showing up for an observation because something else pulled you away. It is a reality, but it, it, it really disappoints our teachers who work so hard. So I think it's important. Of course. So no matter how successful or experienced you are as a teacher, I can remember after an observation, I just wanted some sort of feedback. During the observation, you know, you're, you can't help. Those of us that teach, we're continuously looking for nonverbal cues of how we're doing, the nods, the smiles, anything. And I always appreciated when those administrators left some immediate written feedback. Um, So I made sure I provided immediate feedback as well. How vital is that? Does everyone need that? Or is it just me? Mm -hmm. And um, after a formal observation, and what is a good formula to keep the input from the observation evidence-based? Great. And I would like to just stress, you are not alone in that feeling. Everybody wants feedback, particularly like you mentioned earlier, with the amount of time and preparation that's put into that lesson and observation. So, um, you know, immediate feedback just with students, just like with students is so important, which is where using the Google Docs form allows you the opportunity to give that immediate feedback. So as a principal, I would take scripted notes in a Google Doc 
doc of everything that I observed um, the teacher do throughout the lesson. And then immediately after the lesson was over, I would share that Google doc with the teacher with just a little note saying, I'm going to put this in summary and we'll discuss it in your um, post observation meeting. But I wanted to let you know, you know, this is what I saw and I'm super proud of you. And then highlight some of the best things that you identified. Um, you know, before Google Docs, I certainly would have used, you know, pencil, paper, leave a little post-it note on their desk, praising them, saying thank you, um, and then follow up with those notes in summary during our post-observation meeting. So that feedback is so important. It really is. Um, I, I would leave um, little cards. So I, I purchased in the end, I started getting better with my time and I purchased thank you or um, different kinds of cards. Postcards were great because you could quickly write on one side and leave a little note as in a post-it will do too of something that I saw that I really liked and then leave the rest for the post-observation meeting. But I really like that you shared the the script that you wrote immediately. I, I, I think that that's important. We do want our teachers to go on with the rest of their day and not be too focused on the thoughts of how they did or what they could have done differently. So I, I think that's always helpful. So we get to the post-observation meeting and the, while the written feedback is nice, it, it cannot replace any post-observation meetings. I think it's very important. What should be the primary focus of this post-observation meeting? So another area where there's going to be some time that you need to build into your schedule is in the preparation for that post-observation meeting, because you're going to take the notes that you collected during the formal observation, and you're going to put them into some summary form. Um, and that'll look differently for all administrators. But in short, it should highlight those areas of strength that the teacher exhibited during the observation. Um, and it should also identify any areas of growth or potential growth. Um, and so that post-observation meeting is an opportunity for you to share those items out, um, which ultimately will become part of their formal observation or evaluation, I'm sorry. So being sure to include those things that, um, you know, you may want to direct your teacher to improve upon between the current academic year and the following academic year. Um, so that post-observation meeting is just to really follow up on all those pieces that were started back in the pre-observation meeting and to highlight the strengths and areas of growth um, and to provide the, the teacher with any potential support that they may need in order to reach those areas of growth, whether that's resources, um, teaching materials, curriculum, um, professional development, um, whatever the case may be, um, depending on the teacher's observation, that's your opportunity to really show them that you're an instructional leader and you're there to support them um, as they continue to grow in their profession. 
I always like to ask my teachers when they came in for that post-observation meeting how they felt about their lessons. Um, most of the time, they would address some of the areas I felt required some growth. And that was really, really helpful because then it was coming from them um, and it, it put the ball in their court as far, far as recognizing areas that they needed to grow. Um, sometimes they would say that doesn't usually happen, or I noticed this happened today. I didn't like that. And, and then I knew, okay, this isn't an area we need to focus upon. They're aware of it. Let's focus here. So it, it really helped me understand where their thinking was um, and gave me good insight. I also, I also would look at this area as an instructional leader, as you said, and, and start thinking about the professional development support that's needed, um, planning and the del delivery, and really start to think about, kind of think about it as my classroom. What, what can we work on whole whole school, because this is an area we all need to work on. What is an area where this just this teacher needs a little bit of support? And then what is an area that maybe just a grade level or um, primary or intermediate so that we could start to kind of differentiate the, the needs of the school? Because there's nothing worse than wasting teachers' times <laughs> in a professional development session that they don't need. Um, so when we talk about learning, of course, we cannot skip student achievement. Um, we know our diocese are using various assessment tools to measure student achievement. How can administrators best use assessment data to help inform the teacher growth and this whole teacher evaluation process? So ideally, the observation would cover a standard or set of standards within that lesson that could very easily be tied to some of the, you know, more formal standardized tests. So that's one avenue. Um, for me as a principal, I always use the student data piece as the overarching conversation. So if I was observing math, um, then I would take the math data that we had accumulated for that particular group of students going back as far as they had been in our school. So following and tracking that group of students when they were in the grade previous and the grade previous and the grade previous. And just showing, you know, some of the areas in which that group of students grew, you know, standards-based. Um, and so that was helpful in facilitating the conversation um, as to what areas of growth that particular teacher may need. Um, and so I think, you know, student data and, and um, the, the standardized tests that dioceses use is just one snapshot at the picture of the picture of a student. And so, you know, reminding teachers that this is just giving us a glimpse at this group of students on this particular day um, with this particular material. And so how do, how do we take that and use that in our lesson planning and development? development. And really what it comes down to is when, when do teachers need to reteach the content that they've taught? Um, so if, if the students that um, I observed were particularly struggling in a given topic or subject, 
then I would make sure that we as a team discuss the reteaching process. Like what, what do we need to do to make sure that by the end of this grade, these students are going to be able to access this material. Um, and so that really helped in facilitating some of that team building relationship because I could then direct that teacher to visit with the teacher after them in grade number or the teacher before them in grade number. Um, as a resource for helping support them in the instructional capacity. And that's something I think our Catholic schools are pretty good at having those articulation meetings between the grades. And when we do focus our, our um, observations on this, a similar area, it's much easier to, to have those conversations above and below. Because sometimes I would see that maybe my fourth grade teacher was not challenging the students as much as the third grade teachers below and that their lesson was actually, you know, harder in the third grade than the fourth grade. So having those conversations around the standards, the expectations and the focus can really be, I think, helpful. So we're kind of talking about it already and it's a really big area, professional development. Um, our schools, we know, have various levels of support and resources. It really is different school to school, diocese to diocese regarding professional development. Once we identify areas of growth, what are some strategies we can use to provide timely and meaningful support to our teachers? Well, I know this is an area that you and I are both very passionate about. And so (laughs) what I have to remind myself is that even though I love professional development, everyone doesn't love professional development. And so I want to be really intentional (laughs) when I do recommend professional development, not to overwhelm our teachers who are already being tasked with doing so much. Um, And so I think this is where that, that real key areas of growth that are identified in the post-observation meeting, this is where it becomes really helpful because um, you can strategically select things that align with those areas of growth so as to not overwhelm them. Um, And that becomes a little bit more palatable for a teacher who's already stretched thin. Um, the great part about professional development since the pandemic is that everything is widely accessible online, um, asynchronous and synchronous, and it's most of the time free to access. So that's a great perspective when it comes to the accessibility of professional development. Um you know, and the, and the only other key piece about PD is that when we as principals and administrators ask our teachers to engage in professional development, we want them to fully be able to engage in it. And so I think taking time for them to do that outside of school, letting them leave school an hour early so that they can be at home online doing the professional development or giving them an opportunity to take something off their plate um, with the expectation that they're going to do the PD really goes a long way to show your, um, you know, support of them and that you see this as a priority and that, um, you know, you're not just asking them, asking them to do one other thing. Yes, that's really important. Um, And I think that is why some of our, (laughs) 
<laughs> some people aren't as passionate about PD as we are, Tasha, <laughs> because <laughs> they've been through PD that they don't feel they value or they feel as if they're checking boxes. And so, yes, using online um, teaching and PD that can really um, help them with areas that they want to learn more about and they need to grow with, I think will go a, a long, long way. I agree. And I, you know, in general would, would throw it out to the teachers at the beginning of the year, you know, this is how much money we have entitled to funding to support professional development for teachers. And I want to use every single penny of it. So if you find a workshop or if you want to go to a conference and you want to do, you know, professional learning, I put it in their hands to be able to find it and suggest it as well. So it didn't always have to come from me through the observation process. Right. It could be something that they found on their own and brought to my attention, um, which was always welcomed. Which allows them too, to um, get the type of PD that works for them. You know, if they have children at home, going to something online, some of our, some of our folks like the in-person where they can discuss with others um, from other schools. So getting to know them, I think is really important. And then noticing when they're full, you know, really watching in those teacher meetings and the times that we work with our, our teachers and making sure this one isn't overwhelmed or burned out or, or this isn't too much. We need to know when to say, okay, this is enough for right now. We'll, we'll get this other part later because this teacher has too much going on. We really, really need to know our teachers. And I think if we do um, and we treat them with as professionals that they are, I think that really goes a long way with them being more willing to take professional development on. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. All right. So I think we made it easier, right? It, it sounds, sounds like a really simple process now, right? <laughs> oh, we wish everyone luck with, with their teacher evaluation program. And I, and I think to reach out to others um, from other schools and see what works for them because we're, we're all different and we just need to find what works with our teachers and what works for us as administrators. So any shout outs today, Tasha? I would love to give a shout out. So uh, this is my 24th year in Catholic education and I am a product. Thank you. I'm a product <laughs> of Catholic education. And I will say that my high school history teacher, Mr. Ralph Eckerd, is the individual who first inspired me to go into teaching. Um, he was such an incredible Catholic educator um, and just passionate about his subject, passionate about making sure that students learned every single day and were inspired. Um, and he really truly is my hero and I appreciate him for inspiring me on this path. That's great. And thank you to him. He, I'm sure he would be very proud of you and everything you've done for Catholic education. So thank you, Tasha, for being with us here today. Thank you, Laura. Thank you to our NCEA podcast listeners. Don't forget the most valuable resource we have is each other. Thank you. Thank you.